Okay, welcome to day 56, uh, or post 56 of 100 and the 100 Days of Enneagram. It is so good to be back with you. Welcome back. Uh, we are we are diving back in today. And before we kind of do that, before we get back to the Enneagram Creativity series that we had started, I just wanted to talk a little bit more about this moment uh, and the potential of the Enneagram in this moment. So we're going to do that, and we're going to talk a little bit about what it's going to look like going forward. I'm going to make a, a couple of adjustments, a few commitments to you, and I have had a couple of really engaging and interesting conversations with friends that are going to be shared as a part of this Enneagram Creativity series uh, that I just I can't wait to share with you. Uh, let's Let's start with reflecting on these last two or three weeks that, uh, that we've been off of this project. You can read most of these reflections on my blog, uh, slash blog. And this is, uh, I, I put these thoughts together in a post uh, called this moment, anti-racism and the Enneagram. With the current social unrest and the important ongoing conversations and protests and other action that is taking place to combat systemic racism and the police brutality that it perpetuates, I, I felt it was out of step to continue my daily posts of the 100-day project for a time. So I paused these daily updates in an effort to amplify Melanated Voices, which was a um, an online um, kind of movement or commitment and, um, to do that on my online platforms and to be available for the sort of learning and listening and work that I have needed to do right now to better participate in this fight for justice. And I'm very glad that I did that. Uh, in full disclosure, I've just also been, uh, I've been struggling. It's, it's a hard time for a lot of people, it's a hard time to be an empath and a highly sensitive person. Uh, and that is so not the point right now, but I do want to be honest that, you know, I absolutely started this pause as an attempt to make space for and to amplify other voices. And I also just kind of ended up needing the break to be able to, to process and, and be present to the very, very important things that are happening in our society right now. So I'm glad that, that I did that, and perhaps we can talk more about that at a different time. But you know, all that said, I don't believe that Enneagram work is separate from this fight for justice. In fact, it can be an integral tool in our much-needed personal, communal, and social transformation. And I think it's important that we start talking about that explicitly. So if you've heard me teach, you know my 360-degree theory. Uh, in short, just a brief reminder, if we picture the Enneagram symbol in three dimensions, and we all stand on the point of our dominant type around that circle while viewing an object placed in the center, we're each seeing about 40 degrees of that object clearly. And while we may move around the circle at times to access our wings and resource points, um, our habitual patterned responses to reality land us most often on that dominant point. And as a result, we get really good at seeing about 40 degrees 
clearly of anything we might be looking at. And in that we might entirely miss what someone else is seeing on the other side of the circle from a different angle. And so the natural conclusion to this is that we all need, and we need all nine perspectives to get a complete holistic picture of anything that we are viewing or experiencing. And that is a simple illustration that scales with potentially extensive consequences, because if we really believe that, then we can begin to value difference and prioritize the inclusion of varying perspectives. We can grow in compassion for and patience with each other's experiences and ask better questions like, what are you seeing that I'm not seeing? Rather than jumping straight to you're wrong or you're crazy when we encounter disagreement. And the Enneagram offers us language with which we can translate each other's stories in ways that help us understand more fully, connect more deeply, and live together more equitably. And I see the Enneagram as a framework through which we can explore the endlessly complex and nuanced nature of our identities. Because, of course, there are more than nine cookie-cutter ways of being in the world. There are technically 108 Enneagram types when you account for all the various combination of wings and stacking of our instinctual variants. But beyond that, we bring our life experiences, our cultural contexts, and our intersectional identities to bear on what we call our Enneagram type. There's infinite diversity within our patterns of being and so much yet to be explored uh, as the modern Enneagram of personality is only about 50 years young. The symbol has been used f for thousands of years in different contexts, but this, this uh, model of the Enneagram of personality is really quite young. So there's infinite variety and nuance to be explored, but the Enneagram world, like so much of the world at large, is centered around white, cisgendered, heteronormative, middle to upper class privilege and the influence of Western Christianity. Though, like so many other wisdom teachings that have been co-opted by empire, the Enneagram didn't originate from that center of power. Sadly, I heard a prominent Enneagram teacher insist just a couple weeks ago that since Enneagram wisdom has taught us that there are nine ways of seeing and nine ways of processing what we see, we would not be having the conversation that our learning community with this teacher had requested about how to build a safer, more inclusive space for everyone in the group and specifically for our LGBTQ plus and people of color uh, friends in the group. As if these intersectional identities of race, ethnicity, sexual orientation, gender, and even spiritual or religious identities are irrelevant and could be compartmentalized outside of our Enneagram experience, or as if we could have a, quote, Enneagram-focused community that didn't allow for diverse voices to express how the dominant narratives exclude or, or harm them. No, not anymore. I left that, that group, that community. Uh, I'm not interested in quote, Enneagram only education, because there is no such thing. Our reality can't be siphoned like that. 
my type 8 friend and refugee from Laos is embodying a different expression of 8-ness than is my non-binary 8 friend from the Midwest, than is my black 8 friend in Tennessee, than is a white conservative uh, Christian 8 that I know from here in the buckle of the Bible Belt. And the last of those experiences is overrepresented in Enneagram dialogue today, while the others are largely underrepresented. And this needs to change. And it's not only a justice issue for racial minorities and other marginalized people, we're all missing out when there are voices absent from the conversation. To get the whole picture, we need everyone's point of view, remember? So in this moment, as we learn what it means to be anti-racist, anti-racism, how do we bring all this to bear on figuring that out. Uh, As my friend and colleague Abby Robbins said recently and and said so eloquently, anti-racist work is Enneagram work. And they expounded on that in this way. And I'm going to read a direct quote from Abby's post. They said that Enneagram is not meant to be engaged with for its own sake. This isn't some fun thought experiment we can play with and then set down. It is designed to give us the tools we need to live our lives in a new and more meaningful way. The Enneagram gives us the tools to be fully grounded in our lives and in our cultural moment, which in our particular moment means seeing, acknowledging, accepting, and working to change the effects of white supremacy in our country and in our world. So just as we discover the unconscious patterns of our type through non-judgmental self-observation, we must also become aware of how we unconsciously participate and benefit from the systemic racism and anti-blackness that has been shaping the world for centuries. Clearly, I'm talking to white people here, my people. If your Enneagram work isn't leading you into anti-racist and social justice work, you're not doing Enneagram work. If your spiritual experience isn't directly moving you to stand up and fight for those who are most vulnerable and most oppressed, it is not a spiritual experience. It is spiritual bypassing. End quote. And that is, again, from Abby Robbins of Conscious Enneagram. And I co-sign that statement. It's time to deconstruct the institution of white supremacy and decolonize the traditions it has subsumed, including the Enneagram. And for more on what that means and what that could look like, uh, I point you to uh, an important conversation titled The Enneagram is Not Just for White People, Decolonizing the Enneagram with Mickey Scott Bay Jones. And that link is directly in the blog post that that correlates with this recording. Uh, and I've shared it before, so so some of you may have seen that, but that's a that's a good and helpful place to start for a lot of us, I think. And as I re-engage with public work today, I want to make some commitments going forward. And these are not all encompassing. Um, they fall incredibly short, I am sure, but they are things that um, I, I think can hopefully honor the moment and center and direct me and this work in such a way that uh, sustain this focus, sustain this really important work beyond um, however long this this moment of real direct attention and action lasts. And 
I hope it lasts for quite a while, but here are some of the commitments I am making um, today, which of course may be added to or amended as we go forward, but, but this is what I'm committing to today. First, following and promoting more Black, Indigenous, and People of Color Enneagram teachers like Chichi Agoram, founder of the Thin Space Collective, like Lynette from Ennea Stories and Enneagram in Color, uh, like Mickey Scott Bay Jones, who I mentioned earlier, like Jessica D. Dixon, who is a coach that I just recently found on Instagram, and like Coach Milton of Do It for the Gram podcast, etc., etc. I will keep adding to this list going forward. Second, I'm committing to continuing to diversify my source materials and teachers. It's a process I have begun, but will put even more effort into. Uh, third, continuing to prioritize inclusion of diversity in the recommendations that I share. Fourth, having and sharing conversations with Black, Indigenous, and other people of color, friends and colleagues. And many such conversations have already been planned, uh, but will happen gradually because I especially don't want to ask more from folks, more emotional and intellectual labor right now um, during all of this, especially when I'm not a platform that's able to adequately compensate financially for that labor. So this is a long arc commitment, not just a passing moment. So we'll continue to have these valuable conversations over the long haul and be patient in doing those respectfully in good time. Fifth, I am committing to always admit when I get things wrong uh, and to be willing to do the work of making amends and learning how to do better when that happens. Sixth, I am committing to continuing my personal work and practices and education and therapy. Seven, making sure that that inner work leads to and supports direct anti-racist action. Eight, um, committing to always remaining open to feedback, critique, accountability, and questions. That includes in response to this uh, this post today, these plans. And nine, um, committing to never moving so fast that I can't maintain mindfulness, care, consideration, and compassion. And as I start catching up on the 100 days of Enneagram, uh, I'll do so with a few new parameters. Primarily, each post will be closer to five minutes long, not exceeding 10 minutes after this one, of course. Uh, I'm not comfortable taking more than five to 10 minutes of your time each day right now. There are voices much more important to center than mine. And um, though I have almost three weeks to catch up on, and so I may post more than one per day, I invite you to explore those um, day by day or whatever pace is best for you. I just don't feel comfortable asking for more than that right now. It'll also help me catch up more quickly if I can break things down into smaller chunks, of course. So like I said earlier, I'm really glad to be jumping back into the Enneagram creativity series because it, it feels appropriate right now. It feels helpful right now because creativity relies on imagination and imagination is intimately connected with hope. And we're in desperate need of imagination, really in all sectors of life that can fuel us 
in creating new systems and new relationships and new laws and new societal structures and even just new daily rhythms and this kind of interrupted season of, of life. And we will not make it through that process without hope. And so I think that this look at the intersection of the Enneagram with creativity uh, and its connection to, to hope and imagination is as relevant as ever. And Jericho Brown, a Shreveport native and Pulitzer Prize winning poet as of this year, says it this way. He says, hope is always accompanied by imagination. The will to see what our physical environment seems to deem impossible. Only the creative mind can make use of hope, and only a creative people can wield it. Jericho Brown. So with that in mind, let's go forward with hope, imagination, and the commitment to creating a new kind of world together. Thanks for listening. Um, next up will be type three and starting to explore the experience of creativity for type three. So stay tuned for that. I'll talk to you again soon.